Brother Demetric Muhammad. So we ask all of the, uh, our guests, if you do have a question, please raise your hand on this uh, such sensitive and controversial topic that has been going on within the black community. We know many brothers and sisters have uh, many issues in regards to this situation. And what our brother Demetric Muhammad's attempt to do is to just reveal the truth to you in, in, in this actual context, you know, and in the true context. So uh, brother Malcolm X and the most honorable Elijah Muhammad can be seen in the lights that they are supposed to be seen in. And his attempt is not to bash and uh, batter and, and do violence to brother minister Malcolm X's legacy but to also give a true understanding of why we should even uh, love and embrace Malcolm X even more. So without uh, further ado, I would like to uh, allow our brother Demetric Muhammad to uh, uh, be able to introduce himself and, uh, and let us know more about himself. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum. In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful, I bear witness that there is no God except Allah, and I bear witness that Muhammad is his messenger. We thank Allah and we praise Allah for his merciful intervention into our affairs, having made his appearance known in the person of Master Fard Muhammad. We thank him for raising up from our midst the most honorable Elijah Muhammad and the honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan to serve in messianic capacities part and parcel to the ultimate resurrection and liberation of our people and all of humanity. Uh, again, I greet you. As-salamu alaykum. Um, I'm just your brother, student minister, Demetri Muhammad, and I'm, I'm really honored to be here at the invitation of my, my dear brother uh, and friend, brother Alfonso and the nation of Islam clubhouse uh, team and group. Uh, very appreciative of the work that you all are doing to establish or really to plant our flag in the soil of this new and burgeoning social media platform. Certainly, we all are aware that throughout social media, the world is being informed. Throughout social media, the world is being impacted. Throughout social media, the world is being influenced and yet the powers that be over and over again are using uh, draconian tactics to censor the divine message of Allah, God, that emanates through the ministry of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. So whenever these platforms emerge, we should be there and we should always be where our people are while we simultaneously at the same time work to create independent platforms that the enemy cannot censor our message from having a presence there. Certainly today's topic is a topic that frequently is the subject of barbershop and beauty shop conversations, uh, water cooler conversations, and has been a bone of contention uh, within the black community among those of us who love our people and are struggling for justice. And so we were blessed and I believe guided by Allah 
to publish a book entitled, But Didn't You Kill Malcolm? Myth-Busting the Propaganda Against the Nation of Islam. And the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, uh, you know, he's a man who Allah has blessed to live beyond 80 years. But to be around him, you would think he was like a 20-year-old. And so when we gave to him our manuscript, he read it in less than a week, and he approved of it. And he gave me content to add to what we had already prepared, and he corrected certain aspects of our narrative. And so I believe that following the minister's guidance, we have for the first time introduced to the public a written narrative that vindicates the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, the nation of Islam, the honorable minister Louis Farrakhan, against the false charge that we are responsible for the assassination of Minister Malcolm X. And so I'm looking forward to having uh, an opportunity to respond to, to, to questions about the subject, because as Brother Alfonso stated, it is a sensitive subject. And sometimes when we deal with these kinds of subjects, we don't always have the spirit to address propaganda uh, where we are surgical or where we are nuanced and our enemy has worked hard to set the table for us. But Minister Farrakhan's guidance to us is, is that we don't walk onto the stage that the enemy has set for us. We set our own stage and we stand on our own stage. So the history of Minister Malcolm X, his ministry, and his assassination are part of the history of black America, but they are part of the history of the nation of Islam as well. And Allah is blessing the believers who are on this platform and others to really make a bold step to wrestle back from our enemies, the narrative of black history in America and the narrative of the nation of Islam's history. And so we have to have that in our minds that no longer will we allow those who are the enemies of the rise of our people to be able to tell our story. I think I included it in the book, but there is a proverb that is attributed, I believe, to uh, some of the tribes of Nigeria that talk about how the story of the hunt is altogether different if the lion is permitted to tell his side of the story. And so in the case of black America, we have been the lion that has been hunted through America's various institutions of white supremacy. And for far too long, we have allowed them who have hunted us to tell the story, to tell our story. But I believe that Allah is now blessing a cadre of sincere, honest, and committed brothers and sisters to rise, to begin to tell our story, and to take back control of our narrative. And I pray that our modest contributions are a part of that which I see on the horizon for our people. So I look forward to responding uh, to questions. And certainly, if you haven't got the book, 
Uh, I would encourage you to go over to researchminister.com, get the book, because in just a couple of hours, there's no way for us to canvas or, or to drill down within all that we have put in this narrative. But uh, we would do our best to respond to those questions tonight. But I certainly encourage you to listen, tune in, and also to get the book. And Quinn, just a quick heads up, family, that this uh, discussion would only be two hours long. So I think we're going to end around 3.30. So if you have questions, it is important that you formulate your questions and get ready to come on stage because this, this room will, will not be all day. So I just wanted just to quickly throw that out there. Brother Montreux, anybody had anything else to say before we begin? Um, go ahead, Brother Sharif. I didn't, I didn't have much. I was just going to say thank you for making sure that they know this will only be a two-hour room. will not be all day. Not even sure if we'll have a part two. So if you have any questions, please make sure to get them out right now. This is a very special brother that we have in front of us right now. Um, you can get any and every question that you have answered in this, in this uh, room right here. So go ahead, Brother Sharif. Just uh, thank you, brothers. Uh, thank you, Brother Dimitri, for being here. Uh, just to add to you, my brother's points, uh, if you could just add, just come up and your your response should be my question is so we can get to it and, and get through all the questions. That's all, family. Assalamualaikum. Waalaikum salam. Thank you. So uh, we have uh, Brother Leo on stage. I see you raised your hand, so I'm assuming you have a question there, brother, for our brother Dimitri Muhammad. Brother Leo, are you there? Can you come off the mic? Because if not, we, we're going to send you back to the audience. Okay. All right. We got to move you back to the audience. So, Brother uh, brother James, did you have, did you want to say something? Uh, my question is, uh, I wanted to ask this question and pose the question. It, why is it that our nationalist brothers and uh, brothers and sisters always lean to the narrative of our enemy uh, concerning the assassination of Minister Malcolm X? That's a great question, Brother James. And I think that it has to do with the fact that the narrative of the enemy is all but overwhelming in terms of its reach and its availability. What is the great challenge for us, those of us who have truth, is that our enemy oftentimes has a bigger megaphone than what we have. And he works to keep our megaphone very, very small. Case in point, we know that the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan on July 4th last year told our people not to take this experimental vaccine that our enemies are putting out because it is a part of their campaign to depopulate and cull the human family of the planet earth. But most of our people don't even know that the minister said that because as we said in our opening, the minister's message is being censored. The minister is being blocked from having access to the hearts and minds of the people. So the same way it is with the controversial assassination of Minister Malcolm X, you have certainly mischief makers who situate themselves 
in the midst of national of the nationalist community. But you also have a lot of really sincere brothers and sisters who are just believing what they have heard. And even though we were blessed to put forward the first written response from the Nation of Islam in over 55 years, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan has been addressing this subject successfully ever since he began the rebuilding of the nation in 1977. Yet the minister's lectures and the minister's responses are drowned out because our enemy puts out movies, films, magazine articles, etc. So we now have to begin to strategize for our multimedia uh, and diversified uh, fight for truth, wherein we have books, we have articles, we have lectures. But now those of us who write books, those of us who write articles, those of us who are giving lectures, we have to be married to uh, filmmakers. We have to become married to documentarians. We have to be married to hip hop artists. We have to become married to those who can take the truth and the right narrative and to put it into popular culture. And so um, I pray that as time goes on, and I believe that as time goes on, because even though the enemy has a bigger megaphone than what we have, certainly Allah has the biggest megaphone and he has the greatest power to control the events and circumstances and outcomes which we find ourselves in. So um, that is how I would respond to that that excellent question, my brother. Assalamu alaikum, sir. I have a question. Yes, sir. Could you speak a little bit to the state of the nation uh, and its relation to Brother Malcolm, you know, in the last, you know, in his uh, last, you know, I guess few days, not few days, but his last days and months um, as it pertains to, you know, we in the nation know that our brother Malcolm was in a state of, uh, you know, angst and hurt for the things that was going on and things that were said uh, on his behalf, you know, when it comes to our messenger and things like that. Could you just explain a little bit to the family? Uh, because we try to make a point that, you know, when things, when, when hurt and when ego and things are involved and, you know, we oftentimes say statements that aren't true and, you know, that we may regret later. So I just wanted, you know, to kind of get to a point to where we could understand how, you know, where that brother was in the last days, you know, uh, regarding his letters to the messenger and things like that. A great question, my brother. You know, it reminds me of when um, a few years ago um, we were looking at um, some presentations that were sent out to ministers in our city, uh, preachers, imams, r- rabbis, etc. And it was from um, the local police department. And they were talking about domestic violence. And they were trying to educate, you know, spiritual leaders uh, to talk to their the members of their congregation because the worst call that a police officer can respond to 
is when there's a family dispute, when there's some kind of domestic situation, whether it is between a husband and wife, a father and son, a mother and daughter. Um, police hate to have to respond to that kind of call because it's so unpredictable because oftentimes when there are family issues that emerge, uh, reason many times is subordinate to emotion. And so when you're talking about the fractured relationship between Minister Malcolm X and the Nation of Islam, you're talking about, you know, a family situation that was fracturing and it was fracturing as a result and as an outcome of the counterintelligence program of J. Edgar Hoover and all of the nefarious efforts that predated the actual formalization of COINTELPRO that the federal government was doing to destroy the nation of Islam since our inception in the 30s. And that's, that's a very important point that I'll talk about a little bit more uh, later. Um, but it was a family dispute. And I know it's kind of difficult to appreciate nowadays because, you know, after integration, black people, we are not as close as a people uh, as we were during the days of segregation. And as an example, you know, in those days, many times when there were Muslims, brothers and sisters who joined the Nation of Islam while they were in prison, when they were released from prison, oftentimes it was the believers who allowed them to come and live in their homes. And so when you're talking about the Muslims at that time, you're talking about a very close-knit group of people. You're talking about black America before integration, before we became under the illusion of inclusion and integration and we started seeing one another as enemies and we became afraid of one another like we are nowadays. Back then, you know, we embraced one another as family, whether or not we knew a whole lot about each other or not. So Malcolm entered into that kind of environment in the nation of Islam and he became a beloved member of the nation of Islam. He was the greatest helper of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, and he was adored by the believers. And so when he entered into a public dispute with the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, it was like seeing the eldest brother get into a dispute with either mom or dad. And so not only did this trouble the membership of the nation of Islam, which would be obvious, but it also troubled minister Malcolm. And so as I was, I think I was sharing with Brother Alfonso, part of our taking back control of this narrative involves us placing emphasis where emphasis should naturally be placed. When you're talking about Minister Malcolm, you're talking about a man whose public ministry is essentially from 1952 through 1965. Well, the lion's share of that carries us from 52 through we would say maybe March of 1964. From March of 1964, when Malcolm made his public declaration that he was leaving the nation to February of 1965, that's where the enemy places the emphasis. And as you can see, just in terms of the amount of time, it's actually less than a year. It's actually less than a year 
that Malcolm was officially away from the nation. So if you're talking Malcolm X, you're talking the man who was the greatest representative and spokesman for the most honorable Elijah Muhammad during the period of time between 1952 through 19 to the early part of 1964. And so that man is a man that was hated by the American government. As we document in our book, he was even, and, and this is less so known, hated by the Jewish community and considered the number one leading black anti-Semite. And so Malcolm was targeted because he was helping and he was aiding and he was making successful the one group that the federal government hated more than any other group in black America, the Nation of Islam. And that's not hyperbole. When you look at the statistics, even during the days before COINTELPRO, you see that the uh, security index of the FBI included the names of more than 600 members of the Nation of Islam, more so than it had members of the American Communist Party. And this during a period of time when we were being told, or the public was being told, that America's number one enemy was Communist Russia. Yet, lo and behold, Privately, she was fearing the presence of Islam in black America more so than she did fear communist Russia. So when Malcolm left the nation, he was obviously in a place of internal turmoil. And he went back and forth in things that he said, statements that he made, because when you take a moment and pause to reflect what he must have been going through, you can see that this was a man that knew the evil of the enemy. But he did not necessarily, neither did any of the, the, the people who were involved in this situation, none of them had any idea of the extent to which the federal government had infiltrated all black organizations, including the Nation of Islam, and how they were using the taxpayers' dollars to create a rift and to create factions within the Nation of Islam, specifically working to separate Minister Malcolm from his teacher, the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And so I'll say this as I conclude my response to this question. But if you get the book, you'll see that we have on the back cover a quote from Malcolm's administrative assistant and secretary, whom we were blessed to meet and interview a sister by the name of Sarah Mitchell, who came to work with Minister Malcolm after he left the Nation of Islam. But uh, she talks about how, and I'll just read this, because she wrote a monograph called Shepherd of the Black Sheep, and it was about her time with Minister Malcolm and some of the the thinking of Minister Malcolm uh, the final days because she essentially had the last conversation Uh, with Minister Malcolm before he came to the podium uh, on February 21st, 1965, and was assassinated. But she wrote, during his final hours, Malcolm spoke of plans for explaining to the general public how hasty and mistaken he had been in accusing black Muslims of bombing his home. He said, you won't find a single instance where Muslim men ever moved to attack women and children. I know their tactics and their limitations, and I am telling you things happening to me these past weeks go beyond the realm of the Muslims. Malcolm was convinced that a conspired maneuver was already in motion whereby if anything happened to him, Elijah and his organization would be blamed.
end quote. So from everything that I've researched and everything that I've studied, it's my belief that our brother, if he had lived and he had been able to make that speech that day, that speech would have been an overture, a public overture of reconciliation with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad that may have produced a similar overture by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad to Minister Malcolm because the Honorable Elijah Muhammad believed that Malcolm would one day return and return more humble and return having learned very valuable lessons that would have made him an even better helper uh, after he had essentially gone through what we might term a prodigal son experience. Yes, sir, brother. Thank you, man. Thank you for that. I would just ask, um, you know, really quick, just to reset. So this is a room, um, as you can see from the title, uh, where we want to deal with some of the accusations that we've been seeing in other rooms, you know, usually pertaining to the Nation of Islam and Brother brother Malcolm. Um, so please raise your hand, come up, ask any questions that you have, because if not, all of, them, all of the moderators are going to ask the questions because <laughs> we definitely have. So, um, you know, but, uh, you know, definitely be sure to raise your hand. We'll get your questions answered. Uh, definitely tap the top of the clubhouse where it says Nation of Islam and follow that, because once we reach a thousand followers, we will be giving away some free copies of Message to the Black Man. Um, so, Brother Dimitri, I did have a question myself before I get down to the uh, three brothers that just came up. Could you speak to the motive behind uh, some of the comments of Malcolm? Because most people, you know, uh, once you start to, you know, dispel some of the other things that we've seen in the media, they say, well, what reason would he have to say that? Um, so if you could just speak to that for me, brother, I would definitely appreciate that. I, I'm, I think I I'm, I'm missed a part of your question. Uh, could you repeat it, Brother Montreal? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I was uh, just asking, in a sense, uh, could you speak to uh, the motive behind some of the comments of Malcolm? Like uh, most people would say, well, what reason would Malcolm have to lead the nation and say the things that he said if they were not true? Well, I, I can't speak to Brother Malcolm's motivation. You know, only he could accurately speak to his motivation. I don't I don't claim to speak for Brother Malcolm, but as uh, a student of the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan and as someone that has uh, looked very closely into uh, the available literature and the historical research surrounding uh, Minister Malcolm's assassination, um, I I'm assuming that you're making a reference to uh, Minister Malcolm's uh, comments about the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's domestic life. And all that I can say is this, you know, for people who have placed that as a stick with which to beat the Honorable Elijah Muhammad in the Nation of Islam, they have a, a great and a very serious fundamental problem and it's a very slippery slope if you're going to talk about Malcolm's comments because Malcolm's comments uh, belie the fact that he was publicly stating that he was going to become a orthodox Muslim. 
Well, in Orthodox Islam, Orthodox Islam or Sunni Islam centers around the life history of the great and noble prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, of more than 1,400 years ago in Arabia. And the body of literature devoted to the prophet's personal life is called Sirah. Sirah scholars and Sirah historians who are Muslim have worked to combat the propaganda that the Orientalists, who were mainly a group of writers and historians uh, during the time of the Crusades and thereafter, who feared the spread of Islam into Europe. And one of the things that they did was they weaponized Prophet Muhammad's domestic life because Allah had given him permission to take wives. And they tried to say that Muhammad was an illicit man. They tried to say that the prophet was a voluptuary. They tried to attack the prophet's moral character. And yet Allah over and over again vindicated him. And so in order for Malcolm or anyone else who may have had a problem, a serious ideological or spiritual problem with a servant of God having more than one wife, then he certainly could not have gone on to become a Sunni or Orthodox Muslim because the propaganda leveled against the prophet uh, was so um, vile that it caused many Muslim scholars to go and do the research to vindicate the prophet and that they did and that we have done in our book where we dissect the domestic life of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, which in the early part of this controversy with Malcolm leaving the nation, Malcolm had studied himself and had prepared to publicly defend the domestic life of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. But again, in a domestic situation, in the breakup of a family, oftentimes emotions cloud our better judgment. And so when you get to, as a very critical period of time, between March of 1964 and June of 1964. March of 1964, the Negro press was publishing what they call Malcolm's Declaration of Independence, where he made these statements that he was leaving the organizational structure of the Nation of Islam. Very important, because even in Minister Malcolm's so-called Declaration of Independence, he maintains filial piety or love, respect, and admiration and a commitment to the program and the teachings of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. He actually states that he was leaving the nation so that he might be freer to promote the program and position of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. Even when you get, and we publish in our book, I think it's the speech, the ballad or the bullet, which I believe was in Detroit. Um, he writes in his notes, you know, still credit Mr. Muhammad for teaching me everything I know. This is after he's left the nation. And so in June of 1964, um, Malcolm was being evicted from a parsonage, which is a minister's house that 
the mosque in New York had purchased for the minister of the mosque. And as long as Malcolm was the minister of the mosque, you know, it, it was where he and his family lived. But when he said that he was no longer going to be the minister of the mosque, then the believers wanted to get that home back because they would have to one day get a new minister and he would need a place to live. And so what you find is that it was uh, in the aftermath of Malcolm losing that eviction court case that he began to disparage the domestic life of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad uh, before the media and the press. And so from a historical perspective and looking at the chronology of it, not trying to assign any motive because we can't know what motive is unless we're able to actually ask a person. But we can say that it was there. We can point to right there when his characterization of the domestic life of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad shifted from properly identifying the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's domestic life as having wives to this slanderous thing that you see has become the the, the meat of so many uh, anti-Nation of Islam YouTube videos, etc. And so I think that that event uh, shook Malcolm because any of us that are men that have wives and children and are husbands or fathers, we know that we have a duty and a responsibility to feed, clothe, and house and to otherwise secure our families. Well, you know, when a man comes to a situation where his ability to secure his family is threatened, then it puts us in a very, very precarious position. And I believe that in that moment, Minister Malcolm lashed out uh, to fight against his teacher, the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad, believing that his teacher was was behind it, when in truth, his teacher was not behind it at all. Praise be to Allah. So um, we got uh, a queue going on. First um, is going to be Black, then Dale, then Mason, then Johnny. So uh, Black, if you are there, please come off your mic and ask your question. Respect, peace, and assalamu alaikum, family. I just like My quick question was pertaining to uh, Malcolm's choice of the name Shabazz. I mean, and people try to say he was moving so far away from the nation. From my understanding, the only person or group that teaches about the tribe of Shabazz is the Nation of Islam. Why would he choose that name after he made his Hajj if he was trying to be out of the nation? I hope that question made sense. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Well, I remember a few years ago, uh, brother, um, our National Archivist, Student Minister Carlos of Baltimore, was sharing with me stationary. Um, from Minister Malcolm from in the early 60s, and it had the name Malik Shabazz. And he was explaining to me that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad had given Minister Malcolm the name Shabazz because, as you um, accurately pointed out, you know, that name is uh, a part of the teachings of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad. You know, it's the name of the scientist who helped to acculturate black people into the jungles of West Asia and Africa, you know? And so 
Um, Malcolm, however, by that time, um, had become so well known as Malcolm X uh, as a public figure that similar to how sometimes if there's someone who gets married uh, and they may be married, have a married name on paper, that is one thing. But if they have a public persona in their other name, they don't risk uh, injuring their brand recognition by using their new name, their married name on all of their documents. They just continue with the name that the public recognizes them in. And so this was a choice uh, that Malcolm uh, did. He continued to be publicly known as Malcolm X, but he received the name Shabazz from the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, as did other ministers and laborers were given that name because in our teaching we are taught that we are members of that indestructible tribe, that group of people who are the original people of the planet Earth that cannot be destroyed, the tribe of Shabazz. Thank you, brother. Thank, Thank you, dear brother. We're going to move you back down to the audience. Uh, brother Dale, do you have a question, sir? Yes, sir, I do. Um, were there any jealousy between um, Elijah Muhammad and Malcolm X? That's a good question, my brother. Um, I would have to answer in, in the short way of saying no. Uh, and then I would just add to that question. That is a part of the narrative that has been spun. You know, first mm -hmm. thing I would say is if you're able to, and I think it's on YouTube or maybe it isn't, I, I'm not sure, but I think the 1954 Savior's Day lecture by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, in that lecture, he publicized that he had made a private prayer. And that prayer was that Allah, God, would send him a helper. Now, whether or not, you know, other people believe that the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad is a divine servant and messenger of Allah, it's clear that he believed that. And I certainly believe that. And I think those of us who put this room together believe that. And so he studied the scriptures, learning his assignment. And one of the things that he understood was that the liberator of the enslaved, the prototype was Moses. And in the Bible and in the Holy Quran, God didn't leave Moses who had a speech impediment alone to do the job of liberating the children of Israel, but he helped him with his brother. In fact, if you are a student of the Holy Quran, the 28th surah of the Holy Quran in Ayats or verses 34 and 35, you see Moses or Musa asking God to give him a helper in his brother Aaron. And God granted Moses' petition and he gave both Moses and Aaron an authority, or Musa and Harun, for those who are familiar with the Arabic. Musa and Harun, they both were given divine authority, divine authority to warn Pharaoh and divine authority to lead and command the children of Israel. So I say this because it's very important to understand the thinking and the mind of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad. 
he was expecting a helper. He was expecting a companion. He was mm-hmm. expecting someone to help him in his mission. And he began to see Malcolm in that light. So he was not jealous of Malcolm, but because by the time Malcolm had came into the nation, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad was a veteran in the, in his mission of longer than 20 plus years. And he had suffered and he had taken abuse from the believing community in the thirties who disagreed Mm. with master far Muhammad's choice of him. And he refused to do a battle with them. He fled them and he evaded them because he would later go on to say he hoped that one day they would come to understand that he was the choice of Allah and that they would begin to help him. And so he also was imprisoned. He also faced the persecution of the federal government. So the Honorable Elijah Muhammad knows that in order to be his helper, you have to go through some suffering. You have to go through some hard times. You have to be able to withstand even the negativity that may come from your own brothers and sisters. And so in the case of Minister Malcolm, he was, as as Minister Farrakhan put it so beautifully, you know, he was looking at Malcolm to see if Malcolm was that helper. And so from time to time, he would, you know, just stand back and see, you know, how Malcolm would respond to certain difficult situations and how Malcolm would respond to to this or that, because if he responded properly, then that would confirm in his mind that Malcolm was indeed, in in words, the Aaron to his Moses. So, no, he mm. was never jealous of any of his students. Um, if that was the case, he would certainly have expressed jealousy of Minister Farrakhan because Minister Farrakhan, prior to 1975, was the only other minister that was attracting large crowds like the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. Moreover, Mm -hmm. I would add to that this. In the summer of 1964, Malcolm and the honorable Elijah Muhammad both had rallies in New York around the same day or the same time. And this was being looked at as the competition between the quote-unquote old man and the young man, the student and the teacher. This is after Malcolm had left. And yet, Malcolm barely had a modest crowd to come out to hear him. Most of the people went to hear the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. So I, I, I have to always, you know, push back against the um, defect in character that people want to place on the most honorable Elijah Muhammad by saying that he would be such a great and wise teacher only to become jealous of the students that he produced. I don't know any father that produces a great son that does not stand back and sees the son's greatness and his eyes water because he's proud. He's not jealous of the son because he realizes the son is great because he helped the son achieve his greatness. And the most honorable Elijah Muhammad didn't only have one great student in Minister Malcolm. He had many great students. 
he had many great helpers. A lot of people may be oblivious to the fact that many popular R&B and soul artists during the 60s and 70s were members of the Nation of Islam that had fans and admirers, groups like Cool and the Gang. Joe Tex became a Muslim minister. Mm -hmm. Don't forget that the most famous athlete in the world was Muhammad Ali. And there were people all over the world who loved Ali, admired Ali, and more. once upon a time, they used to do a test of popularity called the Silhouette Test. Go ahead. And, And it was basically, you know, they could tell how famous you were by how many people around the world could recognize not your picture or image, but just your shadow or your silhouette. Right, and they right. say that when you show people Muhammad Ali's shadow, his silhouette, people all over the world knew him. Yet he proclaimed he was a student and servant of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. And he told people in his writings that Elijah Muhammad was my Jesus. He never complained that the most honorable Elijah Muhammad was jealous of him. So it's wrong to ascribe jealousy to the most honorable Elijah Muhammad in Malcolm's case or in any other case. Uh, thank you, Dimitri. Thank you so much for answering the question. As-salamu alaykum. Well, thank you, brother. Well, alaykum salam. So we'll move on to uh, our next question. Um, brother Mason, you have a question, sir? Brother, you breaking up pretty bad. We can't, we can't hear you at all. So you might want to fix your audio and we'll get back to you there, brother. Brother, um, make try to try to exit out and come back in there, sir. Yeah. Johnny, um, Johnny, um, uh, do you have a question for our dear brother, uh, brother Demetri Muhammad? Yeah, actually, I, I, I do. Assalamu alaikum, brothers. Uh, I, I do not. I was going to say, I might have misunderstood earlier, but I kind of wanted to just make a correction on the definitions. The surahs are the chapters of the Quran, and uh, the hadith are, are the people that actually study like, the pop. So, I did not say surah, I said sirah. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I might have misheard you, that's what I was going to say. Okay, thank you. I actually have a question. So, um, you said that he, uh, the, the parallels he drew in, in asking for a helper were similar to that of uh, Musa and Harun. Uh, in the Quran, they're, they're both prophets. Do you, do you think that maybe uh, Elijah, you, you, you said he viewed himself as a prophet. Do you think that in, in drawing that parallel, that he, he, he viewed uh, Malcolm X maybe as being like a, a fellow prophet almost? Or he was looking for that, like that, that he might be that, that person? Did, did he take the parallel that far or just, uh, just a helper in general? I'm just curious. No, I, I, I think that is a good question because the most honorable Elijah Muhammad understood not only was that the case in the case of Musa and Harun, but it was also the case of Jesus and Paul. It was the case between Elijah and Elisha. And so, again, when you understand the theological and spiritual belief of the nation of Islam, then you have to understand and make room in your analysis for the fact that we do believe that the mission of the nation of Islam is a divine mission and it is the fulfillment of prophecy. And so our leadership is in the role of the prophets of ancient times 
in these, the modern times. So yes, he who would become the helper to the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, he who would become the Paul to his Jesus, the Elisha to his Elijah, the Aaron to his Moses, yes, is also divine. And so we see the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan as ultimately fulfilling that in the fullest sense. But all of the believers in our own capacity, we are like those whom you read about in the Bible's book of Nehemiah. In the Bible's book of Nehemiah, when Jehovah or Yahweh looked at the suffering of the enslaved children of Israel, he said that he would send saviors or deliverers after them to deliver them from their oppression and their enslavement. So you may be familiar that each and every year during February, the Nation of Islam hosts a Savior's Day convention. And if you look at the grammar of that titling, it's not apostrophe S. It was once upon a time, but Minister Farrakhan said that it should be S apostrophe because all of those great ones, Malcolm X, the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, Marcus Mosiah Garvey, Nat Turner, and others, these who gave their life and service to the liberation of our people are best and most accurately viewed, not as legends of history, but they're best viewed in the divine light of Scripture as servants of Allah who are working in their own respective capacities to bring about the fruition of God's will, which we believe today is the deliverance and the ultimate liberation of black people in America and all of those in the human family who have fallen under the sway of the enemy of God, Shaitan. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate it. Salam alaikum. Walaikum salam. Thank you. Yes. Um, so now um, we have brother student minister Willie. Salam alaikum, brother student minister. Walaikum uh, salam, brother. And my question to brother Dimitri is, you know, right now, the, 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 the latest in this, um, I don't know, like not so much of a movie, but the TV series, uh, The Godfather of Harlem. Can you talk about uh, the historical in, uh, inaccuracies in that movie and also how movies like that are weaponized to basically uh, demean, uh, destroy the legacy of the, of the Mozambique Elijah Muhammad in the Nation of Islam and continue the same fabrication about the, the nation killing Malcolm X. Thank you. Well, I had to first of all say I'm, I'm not um, a watcher of The Godfather of Harlem, uh, but seems like every week when it is in season, people uh, send me different texts and things about, you know, inaccuracies that are in it. Um, one thing that I can say about it is that from my vantage point, it is a part, even though it's, it's directly intended to be harmful uh, to the nation of Islam, but I think all of us in the black community should be sounding the alarm against these kinds of films that in the name of creative license take extraordinary liberties that have as a net effect the corruption of black history. And so in the book, we actually have a section 
devoted to the subject of the corruption of black history, because what is being done in the Godfather of Harlem is injurious to Malcolm's legacy. It's injurious to the legacy of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. But it's also a part of what I have noticed is a activity by so-called historical revisionists to present the great legends of black history in a way that tarnishes their reputation and seeks to dim their light. And this is very, very critical, very, very important. Again, I think our, our community, you know, whether we're in the nation or not, we should be standing against how our historical great ones are being presented before audiences of young people in a disparaging way that takes away from their magnetism. That's right. And, you know, I'm a student in the ministry, so I have to reference the scripture because the scriptures help orientate my thinking of the world. In the close of the Old Testament, the Bible writers talk about that the work of a man called Elijah would be necessary to return the hearts of the children to the fathers and return the hearts of the fathers to the children. Otherwise, the Bible says, God will be so filled with wrath that he would smite the earth with a curse. So the corruption of black history goes against the work of that man, Elijah, who is to bring the young generation into a proper relationship with the old generation. What is that relationship? The scripture again says, older men and women for counsel, younger men and women for war. Well, when the youth look at Dr. King, whom some revisionist historian came out just maybe a year ago saying that Dr. King was part and parcel to a rape. And another one said, well, Dr. King was an adulterer. Then you have another historian, Manning Marable, says, well, Malcolm was great, but he was a closeted homosexual. Well, Garvey was great, but he was stealing the people's money. Well, Booker T was, he was all right, but he really was an Uncle Tom trying to sell out the people. So over and over again, we see those that our young people should be studying. Our young people should say, I want to take the baton and continue and run my leg of the race toward liberation. The young people are seeing these historical great ones. And they're looking at them through the jaundiced eye or the jaundiced lens of those who are outside the black community who really want to perpetuate the continuation of black people existing in America as second class citizens and in a subjugated way. The old master slave dynamic. So, again, we have to have people who love our community to begin to do films that shine the proper light. We're not saying that our great ones were sinless or flawless, but history of a people is told to give to that people 
inspiration, education, and motivation to continue the work and the achievements of the past in their lifetime and to carry them on into the future. I believe it was Pat Buchanan who wrote in his book, The Death of the West. He talked about when you are getting ready to destroy a people, one of the first things you have to do is to destroy that people's heroes. And so I see Godfather of Harlem and a lot of these other things, Minister Willie, as a part of the destruction of our heroes, people we look up to as great in our people's sojourn and struggle. Our enemies are taking their narrative and weaving a new narrative that causes them to be demagnetized so that young people are left not to be influenced by Malcolm, not to be influenced by the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, not to be influenced by Dr. King, but to be influenced by and large by those who control popular culture. And the net effect of popular culture's influence on black youth especially is the school-to-prison pipeline because the school-to-prison pipeline is the mirror of the lyrics that we see in hip-hop of today is the mirror of the socioeconomic conditions that have been created through redlining and gerrymandering and other uh, nefarious practices to put black people in impoverished communities. So that becomes a real problem when movies and films negatively depict the heroes of an oppressed people. It's powerful. Brother, Brother Willie, um, if you don't mind, uh, you would, would you like to stay on stage with us? Uh, yeah, that's fine. Okay, yes, sir. Uh, brother Hawk, uh, salam alaikum or peace to you, my brother. Walaikum salam to the family. Walaikum salam, Brother Dimitrik. I'm enjoying this conversation, and I really appreciate the brothers and sisters who organized it. My question is that the constant idea that's being pushed to the public is that Malcolm had a revelation once he went to the Middle East, took Hajj, etc. Can you please talk about the fact that he was the international representative of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad well before that trip, and he took uh, trips to the Middle East as the ambassador of the Nation of Islam, and he saw all of these things that were promulgated as his new idea, in 1964, 65, he saw this well before that. Yes, sir, my brother. Well, I, I, I can agree with you um, because Malcolm went in 1959 and traveled in the Muslim world. And he went to countries as we document, we document this in our book because the architecture of our book is such that we wanted to take the major component parts of the overall mythology that the nation killed Malcolm and deal with each component part, deal with each leg of it. And this is one of the legs, as you point out. And we show that, number one, according to Imam Warathuddin Muhammad, who was a son of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, and who was close with Minister Malcolm at that time, and he went on to lead his own Sunni Orthodox movement. But he told the BBC in an interview that he felt like Malcolm was disingenuous 
in his statements about what he learned at his Hodge because he said he and Malcolm both had had dinner with white Muslims at his father, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's dinner table. Moreover, the most Honorable Elijah Muhammad wrote in the 50s in the Pittsburgh Courier newspaper that there are some white people who are Muslims. Additionally to that, we are taught in the Nation of Islam that the father of the founder of the nation of, I mean, pardon me, the mother of the founder of the nation of Islam in America, Master Fard Muhammad, his mother was a Caucasian woman who was a Muslim. So Malcolm's knowledge of white people being Muslims, uh, we cannot say that that is a result of his Hajj uh, to Mecca uh, because to your point, his travels in 1959, again, that we document in the book, were in countries uh, that had an overwhelming, what you would call white Muslim uh, population. Um, so um, that is a narrative that is spun because um, there are those who want to have a bridge into the black community's interest in and excitement over the religion of Islam that has been caused by the work of the nation of Islam. There are those in the immigrant community who want to use Malcolm as that bridge to come into the black community and to promote Sunni orthodoxy because they see that because of the work of the FOI and the MGT, Black America is a warm market for the ideas of Islam. And so Malcolm has been kind of salvaged and molded into this uh, representative of Sunni orthodoxy so that the Sunni orthodox community can, you know, try to win converts in the black community. But one of the things that we document in our book is that, you know, just on the case of how Malcolm viewed the evils of white people, um, there was a research group that did a uh, analysis of Malcolm's speeches post Nation of Islam after he left. And they concluded that Malcolm's attitudes had not changed about the white man at all. In fact, we document that in an interview in, at, with Ebony Magazine after he had left the Nation of Islam, they asked Malcolm would he allow white people to become a part of his, his new movements that he was founding. And Malcolm quipped, he said, well, maybe if John Brown was alive, we might allow him, but we're not allowing white people to come in and become a part of our movement. So you have a lot of, um, I would say, just basic, falsehoods that have been put out there. But again, as we shared in response to Brother James's questions, you know, the falsehood is being pumped through a machine and truth is jogging, you know, uh, alongside of this machine that is enveloping and influencing people everywhere. And not only is truth jogging, 
but truth is not even given access to the same highways that falsehood is. And so, so many people believe this false narrative. I've seen posters, I've seen conferences, I've seen discussion groups, you know, and Malcolm is used as the centerpiece, you know, of the the awakening and the enlightenment. He he was coming out of the darkness of Elijah Muhammad and coming into the bright light of true Islam. Uh, the problem with that is, is that the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad have never proved to be false. Right. Uh, they've never come back to be uh, factually inaccurate. In fact, the, the, the opposite is taking place. And I get excited because day by day, even those aspects of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's teachings that in prior generations people mocked the Nation of Islam's membership for believing in, lo and behold, are being borne witness to by high-level government officials, scientists, doctors, lawyers, etc. Fact about it, many people who tried to say that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is teaching about Mr. Yaqub and the grafting of the Caucasian 6,600 years ago was false when now white geneticists and, and, and ethnologists are saying that uh, white skin and blue eyes did exactly originate as a mutation from the original black and brown 6,600 years ago. Just a couple of weeks ago, the uh, U.S. military finally admitted some 79 years after they arrested the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and interrogated him, not about his teaching about white people, but they interrogated Elijah Muhammad in 1942 about the existence of so-called UFOs because they saw Elijah Muhammad drawing these crafts that had been spotted in America's cities. And they said, Elijah, we want to know what you know about what we are seeing that we don't have an understanding of. And they denied it for 79 years. And just the other day, they came out and they said that, yes, these things are real. They do exist after having denied it for so many years. So the Honorable Elijah Muhammad is not someone who taught Malcolm X darkness, that he had to go to Mecca and come out of darkness into light. What made Malcolm the bright light that he was, was the teachings of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. And that teaching is still giving light today. That's right. That's right, brother. Thank you so much. Um, and I can just bear witness to that before I reset the room that uh, when I did my Shahada with the Orthodox community, they gave me a pamphlet with Brother Malcolm's face on it. Um, and the title was From Hate to Islam. Um, so this is wow. definitely a lot of it pushed <laughs> as soon as they see um, somebody of African descent uh, looking interest, taking an interest in Islam. But just to reset for you, this is the Nation of Islam Clubhouse. Make sure to top the uh, tap the uh, green box there, because once we reach a thousand followers, we'll be giving away free copies of Message to the Black Man. Also, as you see from the title, we are dealing with the um, so many questions that people have about Brother Malcolm, and we have our our brother student minister Demetri Muhammad here. Um, he's the author of a book called "But Didn't You Kill Malcolm?" So please make sure to get that because. This is only a two-hour room, and we cannot, you know, handle all of the questions and things that we have right now in this two hours. So please make sure to go get that book. Um, but who is next is Brother Danny, I believe. Assalamualaikum, family. Waalaikumsalam. Waalaikumsalam, sir.
Yes, sir. My question for Brother Dimitri Muhammad. Um, I recently ran into uh, Brother um, Fred from Barbershop Conversations, and I was telling him how he was getting a lot of his perspectives about the Nation of Islam from people who were bitter or had a bitter perspective about the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. My question to you is, you know, he, he, he's actually right now producing a movie called Nine Wives, you know, uh, degrading the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Um, what is it about our people, you know, that they have, you know, so much hate or, or, or misunderstanding about our teachings that they want to produce films or, or, or degrade our leader, the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan? What is that coming from? Well, you know, brother, um, a lot of that is not, I would say, an organic development, but a lot of that is actually people who are being funded or coached or put upon um, to do these things. Um, You have to remember that you know, in all of the characterizations that I've ever seen in religious literature and even in secular literature, you know, Satan is always, you know, described as having minions or having, you know, demons that, you know, he sits back and he orchestrates and he directs and they execute his will, you see. And so um, that's what over time, it has revealed Um, in our book, for instance, we document an interview between Spike Lee and professor Henry Louis Gates. And Spike was saying that Warner brothers had given him 18 million to do a movie about Malcolm X. And he said that he knew that Warner brothers wanted him to do a movie, not so much about Malcolm, but about Malcolm leaving Mecca and had stopped calling white people the blue-eyed devil. Um, So even in that grandiose production, which is a a magnificent theatrical presentation, uh, again, you know, there's, there's elements of truth and there's elements of falsehood, even in Spike Lee's film. But in a big budget, big tentpole project such as, you know, Spike Lee and Denzel creating Malcolm X, you have our enemy working to shape a narrative. So, you know, a lot of these brothers and sisters, you know, I think that behind the scenes, uh, they have help, they have aid, they have guidance, they are being uh, motivated. Uh, and sometimes incentivized in various ways uh, to publicly attack the nation of Islam. And, you know, because just think for a minute, my brother, of the history of Minister Farrakhan in the rebuilding. Minister Farrakhan has never made it a part of his platform to attack black people who disagree with him or whom he disagrees with. So he has not earned rebuke. He has not earned disloyalty. He has not earned people organically feeling that he's been so wrong that I have to just go now and, you know, blast him. You know, he hasn't earned that. 
you know. So the minister, by contrast, has been one that could defend even the worst characters in our community and help us to see the hidden hand of our enemy in the destruction of prominent black men and women. Fact about it, uh, a Jewish apologist by the name of Daniel Pipe several years ago, he observed a phenomenon. He said that when prominent black people get into trouble, they go and they seek out the nation of Islam. And he said, which provides them uh, solace and security and helps them to restore their reputation. So when you find someone that wants to, you know, uh, try to injure Minister Farrakhan's reputation, which which they can't do it, you know what I mean? Then you have to conclude that this this is not something that this is just naturally coming up in the heart of an individual, but this is an individual that is being uh, put up to do this by those who have hidden their hand and is allowing a black face uh, to go forth as the one that wants to attack the minister. But over and over again, Allah works to vindicate his servants. Now, he wants to put out something negative against the minister. And in the same season as he's doing this, you have our sister Stephanie Mills talking about how Michael Jackson, the world's greatest entertainer, wanted to give his billion-dollar publishing catalog to the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, who turned it down. Now, you know, I don't know no ordinary person that would turn down a billion dollars. Yet the minister is not motivated out of greed or avarice That's or right. any of the uh, negative character traits that people who want to besmirch him uh, try to say that he is. He's a man that really sincerely is genuine and is, as the old saying goes, when you want to talk about somebody that is good as gold, that don't have an evil bone in their body, you're talking about Minister Farrakhan. So I think it becomes a perilous pursuit for you to go against that kind of man because he has the backing and the protection of Allah. And Allah will always cause Minister Farrakhan and his teacher to come out the winner in the eyes of our people. You'll just end up making yourself look very foolish trying to oppose a man that has divine backing. And I talk about this in the book, in the case of Malcolm and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, you know, because even though we can look at this as a political assassination and look at it through purely a secular lens, but when you elevate the discourse and you realize that the Lord of creation is involved in this very heavily dramatic situation, then you see that there are actual parallels to things that were happening to things that took place in the scripture. One such incident was when we were talking about Moses at a certain point in the Bible, in the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 12. It's an excellent uh, 
chapter because there's also a theophany in Numbers 12, meaning God appears in human form, you know, uh, to uh, some of his servants. But the context of it, as I learned in the research of the book, was that uh, there was a little gossip. There's a little slack talk, you know, about Moses's domestic life. And this was taking place between people that were part of Moses's community. It was it was Aaron and Miriam. And this angered God so much that he came to them and he chastised them for speaking ill of Moses and his domestic life. They were questioning Moses's choice of a wife, you see. And when you read that, you see that God acted and he gave Miriam leprosy and he banished her from the community for a period of time. And so you see that when there is a servant of God among the people, Allah acts to defend them. Moreover, go into the Quranic narrative in the 68th surah. This surah is introduced not with Abu Bakr or Uthman or the great fighter Umar defending the prophet, but it is Allah himself who responds in the beginning ayats of the 68th surah to defend the prophet against the slander of his enemies. In the English translation, it reads, by the pen and that which they write, thou art not mad, mad being translated from the Arabic imaginum. And then it goes on to Allah says that, Muhammad, you have sublime moral character and your reward and your blessing from me will never be cut off. So I would, you know, as a brother, man, you know, if you believe in God, you know, just on the chance that Elijah Muhammad and Louis Farrakhan could be servants of God. You should probably take the position of the man called Gamaliel in the New Testament. When they were, uh, when the Roman authorities were opposing the apostles of Jesus, there was a man who was the voice of reason. His name was Gamaliel. And he said, as I paraphrase, he said, you know, if we continue to oppose these men and they are apostles of God, we are going to be opposing God and we're going to be the loser. He said, but if they are not apostles of God, if we leave them alone, they will end of themselves come to naught. So anybody that wants to seek to do any type of injury uh, to Minister Farrakhan, I would just say you should listen to Gamaliel. Take the advice of Gamaliel. You don't have to agree that Minister Farrakhan is who we say he is, but just get out of the way because if he's a false man, then he will have the outcome that falsehood produces. But if he is a man of truth and a man of God and you oppose him, then that's not, you know, in Islam, and it's the last thing I say on that point, the only thing that a Muslim is even permitted to fear is the wrath of Allah. And so I would just be say just as a brother to anybody, hey, man, you don't have to agree with us, but you'd be wise looking at how the nation 
has survived for more than 90 years in a very hostile environment in America, being opposed by the most powerful law enforcement agencies in the world, and yet we are still here, that should tell you that there's a power with us. There's something with the nation that causes us to, in every generation, remain relevant and strong. So I would say to any of my brothers and sisters, just watch. And if we fall on our face, we fall on our face. But if you oppose us and we are of God, then that's the kind of opposition that none of us desire. Brother Demetri, um, I just wanted to uh, quickly ask a question because you, you woke something up in me right now because this brother, brother, you are teaching right now. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, you, you, you got your, your brother excited. Um, oh, praise is due to Allah. And so, um, my question to you is, um, because the, you know, the, the mainstream narrative in regards and relations to the nation of Islam, it is painted as, as if it's a mafia horror story. Right. And, you know, it's, you know, it's this nefarious, insidious story to where, you know, the nation of Islam was 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 jealous and envious, and Malcolm found out some information about, uh, yeah, Malcolm found out some information about the most honorable Elijah Muhammad, and high uh, members and leadership uh, had um, very insidious plots on how they were going to take Malcolm out. <clears throat> and two things that people always try to use against the nation of Islam is they try to use the interview with um, brother minister Farrakhan with uh, Malcolm, one of Malcolm X's daughters. And they try to use a clip, a little soundbite uh, where uh, minister Farrakhan said, Malcolm was our traitor or was he your traitor? Um, and they use this as a as a uh, catalyst or a reference point to justify um, uh, their hatred towards the nation of Islam. Uh, can you respond to that, my brother? Well, yes. I mean, it's it's like we we already addressed, brother Alfonso. You know, it's funny that anyone who takes Malcolm's point of view feel that Malcolm was justified in having a negative view of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. But they don't feel that equally the Nation of Islam and its membership were justified in feeling negatively toward Malcolm for opposing the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. But if you make if you if you if you take it apples to apples and oranges to oranges a comparison, then anybody would be upset if you see a man going against another man that had been his benefactor, his teacher, his father figure, someone that had helped him financially someone that gave him a world stage and something to say and do on that world stage. Now this man begins to publicly antagonize and oppose this man that has been his benefactor. 
I mean, any fair-minded observer looking from the outside in would say, well, why is the young man doing that to the man that had been so good to him? If he had beef, couldn't he take the beef and deal with it uh, outside of the specter of the public light? Couldn't there have been a better way to address his grievances? You can always disagree with your teacher. You can always disagree with someone that has been your benefactor. But should not love, care, and respect be reciprocated with love, care, and respect? Because remember, Minister Malcolm came into the nation with the baggage of the street life and imprisonment. And at no point was Malcolm's former life held over his head by the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. Yet when Malcolm felt that his teacher was wrong, he wanted to go in the public and let the world know that he believed that his teacher was wrong. So Minister Farrakhan and the nation's membership felt that Malcolm was wrong in that and felt that that was traitorous behavior. And if you look at it, there's no community or no group or no organization that's going to feel that someone in Malcolm's position doing what Malcolm did was right or justified. In fact, when you go into Africa, when you go into the Muslim world, there are cultural norms that don't allow you to oppose your sheikh that don't allow you to go against the ulama or or you go against the leader of the tribe in any kind of hostile way. To do so is to incur the anger and the displeasure of the tribe or the family or the school that you are a part of. That's a universal principle. So Malcolm could not go into the Muslim world and receive honor and celebrity if he was going to uh, become a public opponent of his teacher. That's, that's not a universally respected virtue. It would have been better for Brother Malcolm to work through whatever issues he had with his teacher between him and his teacher. But in the emotion of it all, and I would add because it ain't all just on Minister Malcolm. Minister Malcolm had been targeted by the FBI, by the CIA, by the ADL. And we include in our book how Malcolm interviewed, or was, was he recorded an interview when the FBI actually came to him after he was doing his suspension. And they were trying to formally get him to work for them against the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And Malcolm refused to do it. But he did not really know and understand the links that they would go to to cause a widening of the rift between him and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. So we have, just like if you feel Malcolm has a right to feel the way he felt, then the Muslims had a right to feel the way they felt at that time which was that Malcolm's conduct was traitorous conduct. 
And any nation that sees itself as a nation has a right to say this person has become a traitor to us. You see, does not mean or does not uh, uh, incriminate anyone in a crime because the Honorable Elijah Muhammad instructed all of his followers to leave Minister Malcolm alone. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad believed that Malcolm would return. And he never wanted to see any harm come to Malcolm because, again, even though this may have been Malcolm's first experience in this kind of thing, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad had been dealing with the organizational dynamics. He had dealt with hypocrisy. He had dealt with the desertion of some of his ministers many years before Malcolm ever came into the nation. As he told Bob uh, Lucas in his first magazine interview with Cavalier Magazine, in the early days he had a ministry of class of 36 in Detroit. And after uh, hypocrisy broke out, it went down to about three, you see. So he had experience to inform his conduct when the Malcolm Imbroglio uh, manifested itself. And so he was wise and he was not bothered uh, by what Malcolm was doing to such a degree that he would want to act outside of his character, act outside of the commands that the Savior had given to him. He said in one of his speeches that Allah in the person of Master Far Muhammad forbade him from using physical violence against any of his people. Now again, you don't have to agree that Elijah Muhammad met with God, but we do believe that. And he certainly believed that. And he would never do anything to violate an instruction or a command that that man, Master Far Muhammad, gave to him. He literally forbade any of his followers from carrying any weapons. And that extends to this date. The membership of the Nation of Islam, we do not carry guns. We do not carry knives and these kinds of things that can take the life of people. That's a law in the Nation of Islam. So now if you find some who say they're with the nation and they got guns and they shooting up people, then we disavow them. We disown them because they're in violation of the law that all registered members of the Nation of Islam adhere to. So people try to seize upon that because they want to perpetuate an idea that really was born in the 90s. You see, as we document in our book for many years, the narrative was the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, you know, was responsible for Malcolm's assassination. That was what they put out to the people. Right. But. They left that alone because they thought after 1975 that the nation was gone, that we don't have to deal with that problem no more. This is what they thought. Well, in 1977, Allah gives to the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan the mind, the heart, the spirit to rebuild the nation. And in the 80s, it shocked the establishment because they see Farrakhan gaining momentum. They see hip-hop artists quoting Farrakhan in their lyrics. They see black youth wearing African medallions and 
kente cloth and calling each other brother and sister, you see. And so they hurried. So in 1994, the propaganda morphs and it's changed. There's no longer Elijah Muhammad, but it now for the first time in 30 years, Minister Farrakhan is personally being blamed for Malcolm's assassination, you see? So that's the way propaganda works. The narrative continues to shift and mold and morph to target whoever is the current object of the establishment's uh, wrath. And because Minister Farrakhan and his ministry continue to interfere with the government's plans of genocide against black youth, they had to come up with a stratagem that they felt could injure his influence and impact among the youth. So what did they do? They hated Malcolm when he died. Newspapers across the country disparaged Malcolm in the public obituaries that were published about him. They said, oh, he had talent, but he wasted it on hate. Oh, he was a demagogue. Oh, this, oh, that. This was the final word from the New York Times, the L.A. Times, Washington Post, all of these major organs across America on Malcolm's assassination. But he's resurrected. His image is sanitized and he's given to black youth as a pop culture icon simultaneously while they point the finger at Minister Farrakhan for assassinating him. And so that becomes the leading byline when we talk about Malcolm's assassination for the, the, pre- the, 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 the from 1994 onward. You see, and so that that you talk about, Brother Alfonso, is a part of that to take the minister who spoke for four hours that day, I believe. And then you carve out 30 seconds. You don't play the whole clip, the whole clip. He goes on to say, but we never harmed Malcolm. We never did anything to Malcolm because we were under the instructions of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And let me help you to understand that in the nation of Islam, when the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and when Minister Farrakhan give a direct instruction, that is something that we adhere to and we carry out to the best of our ability because to do otherwise, meaning that we in ourselves we be, will be dismissed from the nation. And we don't want to be dismissed from the nation of Islam. For for us, the nation is like a garden of spiritual Eden. And we don't want to be like Cain banished into a place where we no longer enjoy all that we enjoy being a member in good standing within the ranks of the brotherhood and sisterhood. So we do all we can to obey the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and obey Minister Farrakhan. That is beautiful, brother. We appreciate that that answer. Um, Just wanted to take a second to reset the room. Uh, Welcome, everyone, to the Nation of Islam Clubhouse. Please tap the green house above if we're waiting to get to a thousand followers. Once we do that, we will pass out a few. Myself and a few brothers will pass out free copies of Message to the Black Man. Uh, we are here with our dear, beloved brother, Minister D- Dimitri Muhammad, and we are grateful for his presence. At the current time, uh, we have about 15, 20 minutes. I would like to implore and ask the brother if we could maybe stretch that maybe to another 30 so we could get a few questions. And I know a few brothers down uh, in the audience had a questions. Um, if if that's possible, we, w- we would absolutely love that. In addition to that, please go to my brother Demetrix's page on Instagram and purchase his new book. But didn't you kill Malcolm? 
Um, this brother is a is a excellent help and a, and a beautiful researcher on the research team for the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. So we appreciate all the due diligence that he has done on this subject, plus more. Um, so if you have a question about the subject topic at hand, please feel free to hit your button, the, the hand raising button down in the bottom corner and we'll get you up to answer your question. So, Brother Demetric, is it possible that we could uh, just borrow a, a few more extra minutes of your time, brother? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We could do that. Praise be to Allah. Praise be to Allah. Thank you so much, brother. Uh, brother, I would like brother to Naba, say, uh, assalamu alaikum, sir. Welcome to the stage. Um, alaikum salam, brother. Um, I had a question for Brother Demetric, but Brother uh, James Bond, why don't you go and I'll go after you. Assalamu alaikum, Brother uh, uh, well, yes, yes, sir. Thank you. Uh alaikum, Brother Nava. I, I was going to just say uh, to to everybody in the room, the book is excellent, and I think it, it it's 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 a must read if you want to uh, uh, dispel the myth of um, the Nation of Islam murdering Malcolm. I think see we we got to get out of the feeling. And I feel and I think and go to actual facts where we can know for surety that what's being said is is what it actually is. And I think we, when we get out of that and deal with scientific facts, we would get out of our head cartoons and uh, myths and mysteries if you read these books and really understand. Because if you're a black man and you want black man and woman want to know our history and know the things, you got to dispel the myths of what has happened to reading the actual facts. Even they're going so far to saying that um, the, the history in America is not real. We, we wasn't brought over here in, in the holes of shit. They're saying these different narratives. And you got people, studio uh, scientists saying these things, which is not true. So that's why I think it's a it's a good read. Any book that has truth in it, that that will give us some answers based on the people who said themselves. Like there's a part in the book uh, talking about uh, J. Edgar Hoover's um, counterintelligence program and what he said. And I like to read that part of the book, uh, my brother Demetrius' book, where it says the purpose of of the new counterintelligence endeavor is to expose, disrupt, uh, dis uh, misdirect, discredit, or otherwise neutralize the activities of black nationalists, hate type organizations and uh, groups, groupings, their leadership, spokesmen, membership, and supporters. This was said in August 25th, 1967. And if we get into the mindset, then we can have um, a, a clear understanding of what's being uh, said, the propaganda. And the, and the Godfather Harlem is, is one of those indications of what being said. So I think this book is very necessary at this time. And I'll land right there. Yeah. Thank you, Brother uh, James. Uh, Brother Dimitri, I'm I'm going to try to get to a couple things real quick, but I'm I'm very uh, glad to to really have you here. Um, a, a couple things. I I think Brother James referred to history, 
And I think that there are some things that we need to know as we look at the full gamut of this situation with, with Brother Malcolm. One, Gene Roberts, and I'm sure you've already dealt with this, Brother Dimitri, who was supposedly on stage giving Malcolm, uh, Brother Malcolm, mouth-to-mouth after he was shot. Um, he not only infiltrated Malcolm's movement, but he started by infiltrating Muhammad Mahmoud number seven, New York. So this was not somebody who just moved from here to there. After he infiltrated Moss number seven in New York, Jane Roberts I'm talking about. After he infiltrated Malcolm's movement, he goes on because nobody knows he's an undercover agent. Nobody knows he's a traitor because he's working for the white man. Nobody knows he's the popo. Nobody knows he's 12. He takes that quote-unquote history, and then what does he do? He literally becomes one of the founders of the Black Panther Party in New York, and you can look it up for yourself. And then what does he do? He goes on, Gene Roberts I'm talking about. He goes on to then inform on members of the Black Panther Party, and he don't just do it for a day, a month, or a year. He actually retires from the New York City Police Department. That's one. Um, The other thing that I think is important, brothers and sisters, we should never be caught in a time warp because this history doesn't end in the 60s. One, uh, I don't know if uh, if anybody's mentioned this. I'm sure, Brother Dimitri, you, you know about it, so you may have. But uh, Brother Malcolm's daughter, Ilyasa, in an interview with Vlad TV, relatively recent, a few years, I believe it may have been 2016, she says, Mom had nothing to do with the killing of my father. Not only that, in 1995, Kabila Shabazz, is indicted by the federal government on charges that she's part of a murder plot against the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. The minister at first says nothing except this. When the FBI comes to his house and tells him that Kabila Shabazz, the daughter of Malcolm, is involved in a plot on his life, the first thing the minister tells them is, you, you the FBI, have never been a friend of mine. Then he sends his chief of staff at the time, Brother Leonard Farrakhan Muhammad, out because now you got the the media lined up across the street from his home in, in Chicago. And Brother Leonard makes a very strong and emphatic statement. We don't want nothing to happen to Dr. Shabazz and her daughter. And if anything happens to Dr. Shabazz and her daughter or anybody in that family, we are going to hold the U.S. government accountable. That case came out of Minnesota, U.S. Attorney's Office in Minnesota. That case, you know who the main uh, government witness was in that case? Michael Fitzpatrick, an informant who was also Jewish, who knew Kabila from back in New York when they attended the United Nations High School together. He manipulates this young woman into coming to Minnesota, and then he sets her up. The minister's words were so strong that the government backed up off of the charges. And not only that, but people like Hakeem Adabuti um, and others that actually knew Malcolm 
because so many of these people that you listening to, they never knew Malcolm and they kept a safe distance from Malcolm. Bring it home. So, there, so, um, so then there's a whole group that forms and that group goes to defend sister Kabila and her family. But what ends up happening essentially, and I went to Minnesota and covered the trial. The U.S. attorney, then I called the federal, uh, I called the main justice department in Washington, D.C. You know what they told me? They said, well, we don't really know nothing about that. You got to talk to the U.S. attorney in, in Minnesota. Come on, brothers and sisters. You got this major plot and you telling me that headquarters for the Justice Department don't know, don't know nothing about it, and you referring everybody to some little guy by the name of uh, the U.S. attorney at the time, his last name was Lillahog, and you referring people to him instead of taking those questions yourself. At the end of the day, because of such a strong response from the minister, those charges were dropped, and Kabila Shabazz was facing serious jail time this is Malcolm's daughter, as well as fines because she was set up by this guy who was a federal government informant. Last, Dr. Betty Shabazz. What happened was once the charges were dropped, there were supposed to, before the charges were dropped, there were plans for a, a fundraiser, right? There were plans for a fundraiser at the Apollo Theater in New York on behalf of Kabila Shabazz. The minister's response was so strong that by May 6, 1995, it turned, it wasn't a fundraiser because the government had basically dropped the charges. So then it became a celebration and it became now the beginning of reconciliation between the Nation of Islam and Dr. Bet Shabazz. The junior fruit of the Nation of Islam presented Dr. Shabazz with flowers. Dr. Shabazz spoke that night. Minister Farrakhan spoke that night. And I would encourage you to find that video and hear what Dr. Shabazz said in 1995 as opposed to listening to enemies trying to keep something back in the 60s before many of you were even born. Right? right? So, and, and, and I, don't, I don't mean that to be disrespectful to anybody, brothers and sisters. I don't. What I, what I mean is when you have not lived through a time, right, you are basically dependent on other people to tell you what happened. And if those people aren't truthful or if they have a, a, an ulterior motive, they can slant truth to suit what they want. Okay, that's all I meant with that. Lastly, and I'm a, I'm, thank you all for bearing with me. I'm going to wrap this up. Dr. Shabazz spoke at the Man Man March, October 16th, 1995. And she talked about uh, her husband. And she talked about his desire, her desire, our desire for our people to come together. But yet when this subject is raised, you don't hear this. But we should never allow anyone to keep us frozen in the 1960s when this history goes on. 
Um, and I'm sorry, I didn't mean to take that long, but hopefully that added a little something to the discussion. Thank you very much, brother. We appreciate your uh, perspective, you know, especially being that you are a brother that uh, is close to the research as well. And, you know, you keep reports here in the final call. So we appreciate that. Uh, we're going to move on to our sister, um, sister, sister B, I believe. And then we'll move on to HRH for the rest of the questions. Go ahead, sister. Hey there, sister. I, I don't want to say what I think the, the name is, but... Uh, yeah, same. <laughs> sister Boutique? I think she may not be okay, present, brother. We'll move on to... Move on. Brother HRH, how you feel, sir? Assalamu alaikum, brothers and sisters. Uh Yes, sir. So my uh, I met, um, question from Brother Dimitrik is uh, last night I, I was in one of my clubhouse rooms and a brother approached me. We spoke about 45 minutes amongst other people. but um, He's based out of L.A. Um, he said that he thought about joining the nation uh, back in the 90s but didn't. But towards the end of, of, of us speaking, he said that uh, uh, he had a question for me in regards to the nation. I said, yeah, what is it? Uh, he asked that I know anything about HBL Hunt, and I was like, no, I don't. What is that? And he said um, that it was in regards to the KKK, Martin, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Malcolm X, and Elijah Muhammad. And I said that I still didn't know anything about it. He said something about land and, and something like that. I said, okay, get to your point. He said, well, after Malcolm had... Um, spoke about that. He ended up dead. I said, okay, I wasn't born back then. Then he said, he said, well, I think uh, uh, the nation has something to do with that aspect of Malcolm X and that whole deal between the KKK and land buying and things uh, like that. So um, can you um, uh, um, shed light on the HBL hunt, if you know anything about that, and, and Malcolm X and, and also Elijah Muhammad, sir? Yes, as we have been discussing, dear brother, there has been a lot of propaganda aimed at, as Brother James read to you from the formal COINTELPRO memos, to discredit the Nation of Islam in the eyes of our people. And so there have been people who have tried to say that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was in cahoots uh, with members of the KKK. And that, um, you know, this was something that, you know, makes the nation appear to be, you know, without any, you know, credibility. And the problem with it is, is that, number one, it's not based in any kind of factual information. And what it seeks to misconstrue is that when there were members of the American Nazi Party, specifically Lincoln Rockwell, uh, who came to a Savior's Day event, to say to black America that what the Honorable Elijah Muhammad was speaking was the truth that blacks and whites deserve to be separated. And so uh, because the Honorable Elijah Muhammad for years uh, and Minister Farrakhan does today teach that the ultimate solution to the problems between black people and white people in America 
is separation, that that is, in fact, God's divine solution, then it creates an opportunity for us to have dialogue and conversation with people in the white community who have the same political viewpoint. And people who want to make mischief with that have tried to nowadays uh, attach that to uh, the assassination of Malcolm X. But it, it has no basis, you know, in fact, um, it is just, you know, another uh, layer to the overall propaganda um, that the Nation of Islam is supposedly responsible for Malcolm's assassination. And we didn't even address that in the book because it's so new and it is so uh, baseless as uh, one of those kinds of things that um, is just as they say, invented out of whole cloth, just completely made up without any kind of uh, even uh, connection to truth at all. But, you know, the Nation of Islam has been the most feared and the most targeted group in black America by the United States government and its law enforcement apparatus since the 1930s because America did not want Islam uh, the, the government, probably American government, probably did not want Islam in America. And it certainly did not want Islam among black people. Uh, and so this fear uh, of Islam and its fear of black people one day retaliating against white people for what they did to us, all of this informed their opposition against the nation. And so they have used various tools, various weapons. Propaganda is just one of them. You know, and the propaganda continues because, believe it or not, brother, as late as 2016, uh, they did a Rasmussen report on the influence of Minister Farrakhan. And they found that overwhelmingly Minister Farrakhan is approved of by, pardon, <laughs> pardon me, <laughs> excuse me, that Minister Farrakhan is approved of by black people and a large number of white people. You see, and so that kind of, I would say, uh, propaganda element is primarily aimed at people who are diehard uh, politically democratic, if you will, because black people who have given their loyalty to the Democratic Party can't see no kind of situation where conservatives or Republicans or people in the white community uh, should be able to sit across from a table with us and dialogue about how we separate from one another, you see? So when you say that the Nation of Islam had Lincoln Rockwell to speak at his Savior's Day convention, then, you know, that's designed to try to discredit us. When the reality of it is this, is that no, we don't want our daughters and our sons marrying young, the sons and daughters of our slave master's children. We, we don't want that. And there are many people who are the children of our slave masters that don't want our sons and daughters marrying their sons and daughters. Well, why shouldn't we as two intelligent people be able to say, hey, look, we, we don't want to be with y'all. Y'all don't want to be with us, let's see if we can figure out a way that we can be away from one another. That, that's what nations do. 
That's what that's that's what civilized people do. But because of the way integration and the way white liberals have basically co-opted black leadership and black organizations to even suggest that you could sit down and have a conversation with a David Duke. People eat, people bristle at that. They think that's sacrilegious. When if Mr. Duke is saying he don't want to be with me and I'm already saying I don't want to be with him, then that's a basis for a conversation about separation. So the point is, is that that's being used in that particular aspect of the propaganda uh, to try to discredit the nation. Thank you very much, brother. Dimitri, I'm going to go ahead and follow you, sir. Uh, thank you, my brother. Yes, sir. Thank you, brother HRH, for that. Uh, let's check in back with Sister Boutique. I'm just going to say Beach Boutique. Are you there? All right. Um, welcome, uh, family, sister, sister Tamara, sister, sister Dr. Tissa, uh, for checking in. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, Brother hey, Dale, do you have another question, sir? All right. Um, anyone that has any questions, uh, feel free to don't be scared now. You know, <laughs> we, we open the room. Nobody wants to come through and, and ask the questions. Oh, yeah, yeah. But everybody has something to say on the subject when we're not present. So please ping your friends, your family, share on your social media, because this is an issue that needs to get, you know, uh, resolved for our people to be able to move forward. Um, so if any of the moderators want to ask a question or if Brother Demetric would like to just build on, we can do that. Um, yes, sir. You know, I'm. I was privy to a conversation last night um, here on Clubhouse where we were sort of dealing with an element. Um, it was dealing with um, some Zionists who were in a room and a discussion that they were having regarding the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. I wanted to know, Brother Dimitrik, when we are looking at the statistics you just shared, can you, can you explain to me what is the difficulty where all of the facts were, are placed before people and they still do not want to accept it? Because I know all the time that you have spent and the extensive research you have put into this and the evidences that have been presented and all of the things that we have had laid out, I mean, pretty much just laid every single thing out about this, I can almost guarantee you that the next time we host another <laughs> clubhouse room at the Nation of Islam, anything or, you know, just anything, somebody is going to come up and ask us, why'd y'all kill Malcolm? <laughs> so this is, this is a, I mean, and I, and I, and I'm, and I'm, I want to give, I want to give the benefit of the doubt. So there's a part of me, after listening and witnessing sort of this conversation of plotting that I, I witnessed last night, it was, in, it was great because it gave me an opportunity to see what I normally, or hear rather, what I normally would have read about. You know, I actually heard it in, in full swing action. Um, I don't want to get into the details of that, but the point of what I'm saying is ultimately after everything that we have taken the time to do and lay out and, 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 and I mean, present it, 
why is it that we're going to have to keep on repeating this again and 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 again? Can you just sort of give us that insight into what you've observed and probably, possibly help those who may have that question tomorrow to rethink that question? Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Tissa. You know, I'm not a psychologist, but I have heard of something called cognitive dissonance. And I think that where you have cases where there has been a strong and deeply held belief for a long period of time, and there are a lot of people who have their identity now wedded to this belief, their oppositional identity against Minister Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, that they're not even open to hear a different narrative if that narrative conflicts with that deeply held belief. And it's, it's very difficult for us because, as I said earlier, the falsehood has the bigger microphone. The truth has a small microphone. And because the truth and the teacher of truth, who in this hour is the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan, he and his message are being censored, then there's so many more opportunities for people to continue to believe the lie because the lie is continuously circulated and they have greater access to the lie than they have to the truth. And so it's a great dilemma that we have to work harder to overcome and that I believe Allah will help us to overcome because we have the truth that will literally save the lives of our people. But then the question can be asked, the same question that we were told that the Savior asked the messenger when he told the Savior that he knew who he really was, the man that the whole world had been looking for for 2,000 years. He said, yes, Elijah, I am he. But who else knows that but yourself? So that that's, that's when you want to get to where the rubber meets the road today. It's access. It's access to the hearts and minds of the people. You know, people who do social media metrics talk about eyeballs, right? So when the social media companies begin to censor the minister and begin to come after the Nation of Islam influencers in social media. Well, now that keeps the gap and it widens the gap because as long as the minister's narrative and the minister's ministry is blocked from the people, they can continue to be controlled and influenced by popular culture, wherein a staple of popular culture since 1994 onward has been that, you know, Farrakhan called for his death and he was involved in it, blah, 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 you know? So part of what we talked about earlier was, you know, we have to begin to take like my book and turn it into a documentary, turn it into a movie, take uh, the the work of the minister uh, on this subject and atomize it into chunks that are 
part of what is inside of popular culture, music, movies, documentaries, songs, etc. Because not only do we have cognitive dissonance, not only do we have the problem of access, but we also have the problem that the public educational system uh, does not create a mass of people who are gifted at critical thinking. We, the public school system has created among the American people something really that, as the minister pointed out years ago, actually threatens the American democracy. And that is the fact that you have millions of people that are functionally illiterate. So if the truth, if getting the truth to them means that they have to read something, then that's another barrier. So we have a lot of challenges in terms of the proliferation of the truth. This is why the scriptures speak of a day of the overspreading of evil. Think about the visual there, that evil would be overspread. Or as the Bible says in Revelation, Satan deceived the whole world. Where now we, we, we see and we understand how it's done. That's right. you know, he creates and he controls access to the minds of the people. I mean, to censor Minister Farrakhan from social media, you know, I, I don't want to talk too much about it because I get real passionate about it. Uh, it is it's something that we should be much more up in arms about uh, and that we should really be doing more on that subject as a nation, you see, uh, because to think that the minister could be investing what I know he invests in the preparation and the development and the delivery of a message for that message not to reach the people. You see, the Quran says, O messenger, deliver the message. And if you have not delivered the message, you have not delivered it. But here's a man that is faithful to his God and is delivering the message, but Satan interferes with the delivery of the message in the ears of the people. And so even if the minister's message reaches 5 million people, we might celebrate that, but it's 7 billion on the planet, you see? So we, we, that, that, that's the reason why you have people that, yes, tomorrow will say, but didn't y'all kill Malcolm? And that's one of the reasons why we have to get this book. We have to listen to the minister's speeches on this subject so that we will be armed and prepared to answer it. Because even though we may tire uh, of dealing with this same question, you know, the more we adequately respond to it, the less it will appear. And the fact about it is, is that the defense of the truth is not something we should really tire of because it's actually a component of what is prescribed for the believing men and women. We have to be prepared to defend the truth. And um, and so I, I, I hope that, that that answers your question, dear sister. Absolutely. Thank you so much, brother, for your answer. Really quick, I just want to let everybody know that we're down to the last 13 minutes. So I just want everybody to be mindful of the time we have, Brother Joe and Brother Gregory. 
they'll probably be our last two closeout questions, depending on how long it takes. But really quick, tap the Nation of Islam Clubhouse. Follow that green house. Once we reach a thousand followers, me and some of the other brothers and sisters will be giving away free copies of Message to the Black Man. And please make sure that you tap Brother Demetrius' uh, profile. Go to his Instagram and please get that book titled "But Didn't You Kill Malcolm." It is a great read. It'll, uh, you know, put a lot of things into perspective that we discussed today. Uh, but go ahead, Brother Joe. In other words, this is the last call, last call for hand raising. Brother Joe, are you there? Okay, he may not be there, Brother Gregory. Hello? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We can hear you. Okay, good. Did you have a question, brother? I think he may have cut out as well. Let me refresh. See, we have. All right, Mustafa, uh, you're on, brother. Assalamu alaikum, sister Dr. Tisa, brother Mortel. It's an honor to be here, sister. You know, Dr. Tisa and brother Mortel. I see brother Muhammad. Uh, all of you, assalamu alaikum. I just want to say to you, yeah, I just want to say this, you know, uh, with all due respect, I, it makes me, my heart broken. People never give credit what the Nation of Islam did for, not only for black America, but for humanity. And uh, no human being is perfect, but what they did for humanity is unquestionable greatness and it's a miraculous story. They lived they uplift young men and women, not in the hood, but across the globe. And when I see people talking about what they come short, I said, no human being is perfect. Let's focus what they do right. And uh, when I saw the title, you know, we know who killed Malcolm. And we know the circumstances. And we still suffer divide and conquer across the globe. We have to put all energy and all the power we have behind to uplift each other and to bring the best of each one of us because it's going to get tougher. But in the meantime, we should not minimize what the nation of Islam did, not only here, but across the globe. With that said, dream big, Imagine the unthinkable, let's recondition our mind and body and never let the world change you. Change the world in your own unique, beautiful ways. What do I mean by that? There's a wisdom that's eternal that says it's even in the Quran. When you... When hey, you stop, brother. Ch- uh, I'm the conclusion here. Not to cut you off, but we, we're, allowed, we're down to the last nine minutes. I'd love to get only questions in. Brother Joe, go ahead. We've been waiting on you, brother. Go ahead. Yeah, so I'm like... Thank you, brother. Assalamu alaikum. Well, alaikum. Yeah, I'd like to know, you know, the recording that's on YouTube when Malcolm X apologizing to Star and Blasio Muhammad, was that after he left the nation or what? Because a lot of people are saying, oh, it's before he left the nation or nobody. Some people are saying there's no date on that. So I'd like to know when was that? Was that post-Nation of Islam or before he left the Nation of Islam? Well, what I, it depends on which one you're talking about. Um, 
but from what I understand, it was during this period of time. I think you're cutting out, brother Demetri. Uh, he was uh, in suspension, and then, and uh, of course, the period of time. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We can hear you better now. Can you, can you hear me now? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You can't. You can't. Okay. No, I was saying from what I from what I understand, there's a popular one that circulates on YouTube. That's a part of a longer piece, but uh, from what I understand, it was done during the period of time when Malcolm was suspended, and uh, of course, his suspension leads to him leaving. Uh, in March of 1964, I don't I don't know the specific date uh, of that recording, but uh, it does show uh, the contriteness of Minister Malcolm with respect to the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And I know in the the longer version of it, it goes into a lot of lot of detail with respect to Malcolm's conduct and his actions. And I think one of the most important parts of that shows something that we document in our book was the great love that Malcolm had for the most honorable Elijah Muhammad and the great love that the honorable Elijah Muhammad had for minister Malcolm. And, uh, that, that kind of love was considered, uh, an enemy, uh, reality to, uh, those who wanted the destruction of the nation. And, and that was a point that uh, I wanted to make sure that we, we emphasize before we conclude was that a lot of times in the popular narrative, brother Malcolm, even when people talk about how the FBI uh, pursued him, kind of look at him as being independent of the nation of Islam. But the reality of it is, is that Malcolm's assassination was viewed as necessary for the destruction of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of Islam. Malcolm was hated because he was responsible for helping Elijah Muhammad's message to become more popular among the black masses. And this is what infuriated J. Edgar Hoover. So when you pan back and you look at the actual history of negative uh, interactions between the nation of Islam and the federal government that began all the way back to our inception in Detroit in the 1930s. And it, it continued with the arrest and the imprisonment of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and most of the male members of the nation in 1942. And you had even the propaganda campaign of 1959. So you have... 30 plus years of a government war against the nation. It trying to destroy the nation. Why was it trying to destroy the nation? Because just like you read in the Bible, in Exodus, when Pharaoh said, come, let us deal wisely or shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, join on to an enemy of ours and come against us. In 1959, in the U.S. News and World Report, 
they literally almost verbatim said the very same thing about the nation of Islam. Islam was considered to be the great religion and spiritual system of many of America's enemies. And it considered the presence of Islam among black people in America as a great threat, again, a threat greater than even communist Russia. So it was continuously working to destroy the Muslims. Malcolm's assassination is like when you saw maybe a year or two ago when President Trump, he wants to destroy the Iranian government, but he doesn't go after the supreme leader. He doesn't go after the president. He took out one of their greatest generals. And so the murder of General Soleimani was considered part and parcel to the American government's war against the current administration in Iran. The assassination of Malcolm was the same thing. Malcolm was considered a great general or great aide of Elijah Muhammad. And so to destroy Elijah Muhammad in the nation, they targeted his best helper at that time. And that's a very, very critical missing component that gets completely overlooked and never presented to the American people because they try to pick up the story right there at that small period of time in 1964 or 19 December of 63 through February of 65. And they omit July 4th, 1930 onward when the nation was a target of the most powerful law enforcement agencies in the world. Again, law enforcement agencies that are responsible for toppling foreign regimes and they turn their espionage prowess and military might against a small group of black people within the confines of America whose only crime was they said, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad dan Rasulullah, we are Muslims. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Just, just want to say uh, about the Demetrius we had. Two more questions here. Um, I know we're we're supposed to end at uh, six p.m. or in about two more minutes here. Uh, would you be able to take these last two questions, brother? Yes, sir. If they can both read them together, then maybe I can respond to them combined because I do have another engagement here very shortly. But I want to want to respond. If there are questions on the table, I do want to respond to them. So if you could allow both of the questioners to ask, and then I'll try to put the response to both in one response. Absolutely. We'll close it out that way. So, Brother Leo and Brother Gregory, if you can just uh, ask your question really quickly, and Brother Demetri will respond, and then we'll close out after that. Yes, Mark, you can hear me? Yes, sir. All right. My question is the statements that I heard Malcolm X make about uh, the underage girls, is that true or not? No, it's not true. Brother okay. Gregory. No, sir. I guess he may not be there. All right, but we we did. I would just add, if brother brother Gregory doesn't have a question. I'll take a minute just to 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 say on brother's question, we 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 provide uh, a section dealing specifically with the domestic life of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad in the book, and the charges that Malcolm made against the Honorable Elijah Muhammad in the book, and we 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 dispel the notion of so called. Uh, underage and all of this old kind of stuff. I'm not even going to repeat the slander, but 
because that's what it is. It's, it's slander against a divine servant of Allah. You have to be careful that you don't repeat slander against the servants of God. And that was one of the things that the minister corrected when we gave him the manuscript the first time, because uh, in order to defeat the slander, I was repeating the slander. And so he said, brother, I used to do the same thing. But the messenger told me, he said, and when you repeat uh, slander more than three times, you become a party to it and you're liable to receive the punishment for it. So um, but that question is a question that's on the hearts and minds of a lot of people. And we are not ducking that question at all. The fullness of my response to that is in the book. And it certainly involves uh, the the actual ages of the wives of the Most Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And it also shows how that particular criticism and critique uh, is certainly misplaced among anyone who claims adherence to the religion of Islam, knowing how that same slander was used against Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. And we talked about that. Uh, earlier on in today's program. But uh, so if you get the book, my brothers at researchminister.com, you can go to researchminister.com, click on the shop button, go take you to our Shopify uh, store and you can get the book and it'll be to you in just a few days. So um, thank you for, for everyone and your questions. And, and I appreciate the opportunity to be on. Uh, thank you, brother Montreal. And thank you, brother Alfonso. Yes, sir, brother. We appreciate you for coming on. We are very thankful. thankful. We ask the family to tap the greenhouse and quickly before we close out with prayer with my brother Alfonso, uh, just tap the greenhouse, follow all the moderators and stay tuned, man. Stay tuned for a lot of information, a lot of beautiful things. Feel free to reach out to a brother or sister or a mosque near you. Uh, And tomorrow morning at 11, we have our Sunday lecture. Tomorrow's lecture is the door out of hell. So we will be doing a club. We we will play the lecture live here uh, because we know some do not have access but if you do not want to come here you can go to noi.org and find that lecture there so without further ado brother alfonso would you close us out right. sir? can i just say thank you to the brother yes sir please go yes sir thank you brother dimitri um that's brother charles 7x i'm here in uh muhammad moss 12 in philadelphia um and i'm just super appreciative of your time today because as a uh, new brother being in philadelphia you know, um, this subject has split the split the city in half. And as a new brother who came to the city probably 10 years ago, you know, took my Shahada and new to, to all of this, you know, I didn't know how deep this had ran. Like, even today, I was in front of Malcolm X House on, on Oxford Street today. So I'm just appreciative. I have the book. I'm appreciative for you taking time and coming in because I don't think you, I mean, maybe you do, but... Just this conversation provided so much depth and understanding for a brother like me who's outside. And this is really something that I I, I am taught to a lot by my my black Sunni brothers in the city. You know, um, it's something that that I think that I'm just appreciative to, to even have the opportunity to hear what you had to say today. I'm thankful you took time. I just want to let you know, let you know that. Thank you, brother Dimitri. 
Thank you, Brother Charles. I appreciate it. Uh, Philly is one of my favorite cities, and uh, hopefully at some point in the near future we can come back and uh, and be with all of the wonderful brothers and sisters uh, at the top of the clock, uh, Mars number 12, uh, Philly, PA. Yes, sir. One last thing before I pass it to my brother Alfonso to close this in prayer. He has a video, and I just want to bear witness to his great work really quick. He's one of the uh, main reasons I went ahead and went through processing and ended up joining the Nation of Islam. He has a video on YouTube where he breaks down all of the ages of the most honorable, of the wives of the most honorable Elijah Muhammad. So I'll let him mention that before he closes us out. All praises due to Allah. I would like to thank all the brothers and sisters who came together uh, and to make this happen. Um, I would like to thank uh, our special guest speaker, uh, Brother Demetri Muhammad, for the profound insight, intellect, knowledge, scholarship that our brother was able to provide. And I I thank Allah for using me as an instrument to just be able to help and assist our brother in this mission and getting the truth out and spreading this truth. And, um, you know, the brother contacted me originally and, you know, I, you know, I, I, I've been really dedicated to this subject ever since. And the brother helped, uh, inspire that in me. So I'm grateful for our brother, Demetri Muhammad, and I will close this out in prayer at this moment. So if you all can, um, uh, ready for prayer. Yes, sir. In the name of Allah, the beneficent, the merciful who came to us in the person of Master Fard Muhammad, all praises is due to Allah, the beneficent, the most merciful, master of this day of judgment in which we now live. Thee alone do we serve, and thee alone do we beseech for aid. Guide us along the right path, the path of those upon whom thou hast bestowed favors, not the path of those upon whom thy wrath is brought down, nor of those who go astray after they heard thy teachings. Say, here lies one God. Allah is he of whom nothing is independent, but upon whom we all depend. He neither begets nor is he begotten, and none is like him. Amen. 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 Thank you once again, Brother Jermatrix. May Allah bless you. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Thank you, brothers and sisters. And your family. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, just make sure that you follow all of the mods. Hit that Nation of Islam clubhouse, that green box. Follow that. Like I said, once we hit that 1,000 mark, we'll be passing out those free copies of Message to the Black Man. But I do thank you for attending, family, and rocking out with us for these two hours uh, or two and a half hours here. Um, so, assalamu alaikum, family. Thanks. Wa alaikum salam.